0: and we welcome you to the Tuesday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. This happens to be National Wildlife Week, and I am very happy that we can celebrate that with David uh, Mazeski, who is a naturalist with the National Wildlife Federation. And uh, we have spoken with David before about the great work that he does uh, as a naturalist with the National Wildlife Federation and uh, we're going to find out a little bit about his own nearly lifelong fascination with uh, what we see and, and experience in the outdoors, and uh, we will find out about uh, the work of the National Wildlife Federation, particularly as it plays out during this very special uh, week during the year. Uh, David Mazeski, we welcome you back to the morning show. Hi there.
1: Thanks for having me back.
0: I'm glad we can have this uh, conversation. So first of all, let's uh, let's give you a chance to tell our listeners a little bit about uh, your own uh, wonderful love of the out of doors and the world of nature and uh, what uh, the beginning of all that.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, first I'll start by uh, explaining what a naturalist is, since not everybody knows necessarily. A naturalist is is basically somebody who studies the natural world and has sort of a deep knowledge of wildlife and plants and ecology. And in addition to that, it also helps communicate about it and, and does that in a way, at least for me, hopefully that inspires people to want to get involved in conservation efforts to save our natural world and our fellow species. And so you know, there's lots of different people over history who have been naturalists, everyone from Charles Darwin to... Jane Goodall to David Attenborough, there are some of the more famous ones, but, you know, literally anybody can be a naturalist. Um, You know, if you enjoy going outside and and watching the birds or, you know, going on hikes and and identifying the plants and learning about nature, well, you're a naturalist too. And for me, um, you know, I kind of joke and I always say, you know, I sort of was born this way. I was one of those kids that just was naturally drawn to being outside and to animals and, you know, spent my youth running around in the woods and climbing trees and catching frogs and all that kind of thing. And, you know, ultimately went on to get a degree in human and natural ecology. And I've been with the national wildlife Federation, um, going on 21 years. It'll be 21 years this summer. Um, working as a naturalist in a lot of different of our programs that again, are designed to help educate people and inspire them to want to get involved in our conservation efforts. Mm. One of which of course is national wildlife week, which we're going to talk about.
0: Very good. I, um, uh... I find it interesting that, that, that the National Wildlife Federation uh, was created, if I remember correctly, in 1936. And, that is uh, correct, yep. And, and, of course, so it was created at a, at a time in our nation's history that was exceedingly difficult on a lot of different fronts. Is there anything you can tell us about uh, uh, the creation of the National Wildlife Federation and, in particular, why it sprang up when it did?
1: Sure. Yeah, no, that's actually a, a really interesting point, because you're right. At that point in time, you know, we were coming out of the Great Depression, and it was a very challenging time for, for our country. It was a very challenging time for our nation's wildlife as well. And that's because, you know, back then, we didn't have the, the you know, frankly, the the, the regulation and the oversight over the management and the, the stewardship of our natural resources, and that includes wildlife. So you know, this is the era when, you know, the industrial revolution and the rapid development in North America. And, and unfortunately a lot of our wildlife suffered. So, uh, you know, hunting was not regulated and, you know, whether it was, you know, people, you know, shooting all of the bison on the great plains or, um, killing millions of our nation's waterfowl for the plumes to put in in fashion hats for women. you know, there was just all of this decimation of our wildlife. And even though we were facing a tough economic situation, you know, there were people that recognized that that we were sort of on the uh, on the edge of really losing our nation's natural heritage, and that that is something worth saving and worth protecting. And that, you know, it, 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 the American sort of model of conservation is that that belongs to all of us. You know, as Americans, our, our natural heritage belongs to everybody in America. And it's our right to you know, have it and enjoy it and to know that it's there for future generations. And so uh, a fellow named Dean Darling, who actually was a political cartoonist um, and got, you know, sort of a mover and shaker in Washington, was able to convince the powers that be that this was something that they should be talking about. And, and he ended up convening a uh, basically a conference, a convention, um, where he invited all of the people of all the different flavors that are out there or that were out there in America at the time to come together, focusing on this sort of shared value of conserving wildlife and our natural heritage. And so from the very get-go, this, this was basically the seed of what became the National Wildlife Federation. And so from the very get-go, we have been an organization that really values that diversity and bringing people together, again, on that shared value. And so at that very first meeting, there were a lot of hunters and anglers, you know, who were concerned because the, the wildlife that they wanted to go out um, hunting and fishing for were disappearing right before their eyes. Um, but there were also, you know, the, uh, birders, people who enjoy just watching wildlife, There were even people who were getting into the early, you know, sort of garden for wildlife kind of movements that we've um, really spearheaded at the National Wildlife Federation, people who just enjoyed, you know, hiking and camping and things. And they all came together from all across the country and, you know, said, you know, this is a priority for all of us, even from all of these diverse sort of perspectives. And out of that was formed the National Wildlife Federation. And to this day, that kind of remains our model. We are a true federation. So we're a national nonprofit organization, and we have regional offices around the country, but we also have state affiliates. And these are separate um, nonprofit organizations, one per state and territory, that we literally federate together. And by doing so, it kind of elevates our voice. And that diversity is, is, is still there today. So, you know, some of our affiliates are very traditional wildlife conservation groups, you know, hunting and fishing groups. We also have very sort of progressive green groups as part as some of our affiliates and everything in between. And, you know, that, that diversity is, you know, gives gives power and strength because when you can bring people together from across the political spectrum to to really say, you know, we all care about wildlife and natural resources, you know, that, that, that gets people's attention in Washington and, and that's a powerful thing. And so that's You know kind of a little bit of the history of the National Wildlife Federation and of course we do a whole wide range of work some of it is that policy and legislation focused work you know some of it is species specific some of it is on you know huge systemic problems like climate change but we also do a lot of work on the local level and getting communities involved in greening their communities we do a lot of work focused on getting the next generation connected to nature And and giving them opportunities to learn about nature, whether that's Ranger Rick Magazine, which we've been publishing for over 50 years, um, or our programs like Eco Schools USA. I mentioned the Garden for Wildlife movement, which we had been instrumental in founding back in the 70s and continue to promote today. This is all about helping wildlife that live in our cities and towns and neighborhoods you know, attracting birds and butterflies and supporting their populations where people live. So we we do a tremendous amount of diverse work at the National Wildlife Federation. But at its core is this idea that, you know, wildlife is part of our natural heritage and it's a shared value, you know, across the spectrum. And that, you know, if we can all focus on that shared value, we're going to make sure we have, you know, a future where wildlife are in it. And that's our mission, to unite all Americans to ensure that wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. Mm
0: For those of you just joining us, I'm speaking with David Muzicevsky, who is a naturalist with the National Wildlife Federation. And this is National Wildlife Week. And so uh, it's a great opportunity to reconnect with, uh, with uh, David to talk about the good work of the National Wildlife Federation and to find out uh, some ways in which each of us can, can celebrate National Wildlife Week. It's, it's funny, uh, the day before we are recording this interview, so yesterday for me, uh several days ago for our listeners uh, on my way to the radio station uh i saw a huge skunk just two blocks away from our studios and uh, there were a couple of different cars that were stopped just to sort of watch this really big and beautiful skunk uh in broad daylight actually and uh, about an hour later uh when i found my way driving the other direction on the same street it was one block away but still absolutely in full view and again a couple of cars had stopped just to kind of view the thing and in a sense it was it was one of those amazing moments where for all that uh, surrounds us and 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 with which we interact in terms of media and and technology and so on there's nothing quite like uh encountering a, a wildlife creature in an unexpected place at an unexpected time
1: you know you're you're so right about that, and um you know that's a little bit of of what our theme for National Wildlife Week is. It's about celebrating America's diverse wildlife, and those kinds of encounters really are magical, you know i mean the the reality is is that most wildlife species are relatively elusive. They don't want to be seen or be around people, and it's you know even if they're present, usually you don't see them. And so getting a visual like that can be really, really special, um, again, especially for kids. You know, I mean, that's the kind of experience that really could, could you know, sort of, uh, you know, light the flame of, of a love for wildlife in, in a kid. And I have to say, I have to give you, you know, uh, props for looking at a skunk and not immediately being fearful or thinking, oh, we got to get rid of that, right? Um, you know, these are animals that can perfectly happily coexist with us as long as you follow the golden rule. And the golden rule is this goes for any wild animal. Um, If you don't try to get near it, touch it, pick it up, pet it, feed it, you're not going to have any problems with it, right? And so skunks are not going to come after you to spray you. If you threaten them, they will defend themselves by spraying you, and they'll give you lots of warnings in advance. So, you know, yet we still have this sort of knee-jerk reaction to animals like skunks that, you know, it's kind of a get rid of them. And so I want to thank you for just immediately not having that reaction. And that's kind of what we're you know, we're trying to change some of those perceptions or misperceptions about wildlife and speaking of misperceptions I do also want to address the fact that this animal is walking around during daylight now again we have this um, this sort of urban myth that if you see an animal in daylight that it means it's sick and you know certainly that can happen if an animal is sick it can alter its natural behavior but the sign that an animal is sick is not that it's out during the day the sign that an animal is sick is that it's behaving sickly, right? And so a lot of times in our suburban or urban areas where animals are forced to sort of be around people every single day, you know, oftentimes they get a little bit more comfortable with us. And as long as they're not harassed, they are sometimes more comfortable being out during daylight hours. So, you know, just because you see an animal like a skunk or a raccoon or a fox or something like that active during daylight hours doesn't automatically mean that they're sick um you know and again if you don't approach that animal you know even if there is an illness present you know you're you're not going to be in any danger from it
0: very good so uh one of the things we hear is uh about increasing encroachment of wildlife into urban areas and of course we're we're in a sense accusing them of the encroachment when in fact it's really i suppose more the other way around that we have encroached into their habitats and at some point uh the two begin to kind of uh rub against each other and certainly there are are, are certain instances in which this can have tragic consequences when we're talking about certain kinds of 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 wildlife and in many other cases it's it's a much more benign sort of coexistence um in general, should we be happy about this? About the fact that more and more uh, in an urban area, one is likely to see—I don't know—coyotes or wild turkeys or other kinds of creatures. Or, or is it best if we are not in quite such close proximity with one another?
1: Well, I think it's a good thing. And to your point, you know, the the these these animals are not encroaching on us. We've encroached on that. and in many cases. You know, take the wild turkey, for example. The fact that these animals are even present is a testament to the success of wildlife conservation. Wild turkeys are a species that, you know, we were talking about a minute ago about in, in the old days before things like hunting and fishing, you know, were regulated and, and managed by, like, actual science. You know, the wild turkey was almost completely wiped out from overhunting and habitat destruction. And so in, in the last several decades you know, we have focused on that species in conservation and, you know, protected its habitat and restored its habitat and done captive breeding programs and reintroductions. And now, wild turkeys are fairly common. And in some cases, you do sometimes see them in our kind of urban and suburban areas where you might not think they would be. So, yeah, I think that's something to be celebrated. The other thing that that is, I think, something that should be celebrated is that often the species that can coexist with us Um, it's because they're very adaptable animals. They're not too dissimilar from we humans, right? And they can survive in a wide range of environments and, and, you know, sort of pressures from changes in the natural environment. And that's not true for most species, right? If you think about it, most species decline and disappear and maybe even go extinct as a result of the way that we human beings change the landscape. But there are a handful of species that have that sort of magic of adaptability. You know, things like raccoons, that, you know, pretty much have expanded their range because they are able to, um, like us, live in a wide variety of scenarios. And so I think that's something to be celebrated. The fact that, you know, even though we have radically altered the natural environment, there are some species that can still thrive in that. And, And of course, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be protecting the more natural areas for all the rest of the species. But I think that that's a good thing. And again, I go back to my golden rule. You know, these animals can coexist with us without any issue, as long as we don't mess with them. And that's true in almost all scenarios, you know, using raccoons as an example. Yes, can they be pesky? Yes, they can get into our trash cans. But the solution to that is get a trash can with a lid that that snaps shut. Use bungee cords. Don't put your trash out at, you know, the night before pickup. Do it in the daylight hours when, again, the raccoons are less likely to get to it. You know, most of these potential wildlife conflicts in our urban and suburban areas can usually be solved with just some simple behavior changes on our part. Hmm. And so I think it's a great thing that, that we're seeing more and more wildlife species sharing our space with us. And, and, and in fact, last thought on it is that if we really do want to save and, and protect and restore our wildlife populations, it's not enough to just focus on the wilderness areas, which are ever shrinking so much of, of the land, is actually taken up by the human footprint, that we actually need to make space for wildlife in our cities and our towns and our neighborhoods if we're really going to be able to protect and restore a lot of these species. And, you know, the beauty is most of these animals are, are, you know, it's not the the bigger animals, right? It's not, you know, bears and, and moose that we're talking about. A lot of the animals that, that can benefit from habitat in our cities and towns and neighborhoods are things like songbirds, which have declined precipitously in this country. In fact, a study came out not too long ago that showed that the North American bird population is down by almost 3 billion birds in wow. just the last 50 years or so. Wow. So there's 3 billion less birds overall in the population. And, you know, these are animals that, again, if we just give them some habitat. You know, and, and in the case of birds, that's planting trees. It's planting native plants that are going to supply them with natural seeds and berries and insects, you know, not spraying pesticides. We can all do that. And if we do that, many of these birds will really, really benefit, and maybe their populations will start to come back. Same thing for butterflies. The monarch butterfly is in real trouble. You know, we all grew up seeing the monarch butterfly and probably the first insect other than maybe a ladybug or a bee that we could identify as a kid they're disappearing. The Western uh, population, west of the Rockies, there's less than 1% of them left. The Eastern population is down by, you know, a, a, it's been down as much as 90%. It you know changes year to year. But at any rate, these are animals that we can help. We can save right in our own backyards. And so, again, I mentioned our Garden for Wildlife movement. Um, that's something that we really are going to be focusing on in the month of May. So maybe I can come back and talk more about that then. But, uh, but at any rate, we can make space for wildlife and share our, again, our cities, our towns, our neighborhoods, whether it's urban, suburban, or rural. Um, And if we do that, we can actually make a big difference.
0: Before we talk specifically about some ideas on how to celebrate National Wildlife Week, I wonder if you could just say a word about how life has changed for you and your colleagues uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic. In what way has the National Wildlife Federation had to change what it does or the way it does things uh during this uh, difficult period
1: well it's 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 an interesting question we like everyone else has really had to shift and alter the way we do our work and i'm happy to say that we've been able to pivot uh, i think pretty successfully so our offices closed last march and they remain closed, so the entirety of the Wildlife Federation staff are working remotely, um, and so that you know, of course, has presented some huge challenges. But I have to say, we were a little bit ahead of the curve because we had already started using Zoom, and I think at this point in the game, we're all Zoom experts. But a year ago, a lot of a lot of companies and organizations, you know, were not familiar with that kind of platform, and we had already been using it at the National Wildlife Federation, so that helped us. But, you know, it's been pretty incredible that we, in my opinion, that we've been able to, you know, really not stop the work, right? We've, we've remained dedicated to our mission and focusing on wildlife and getting a tremendous amount of work done, even under the challenge of COVID-19. And so, um, you know, we're going to, as a, as, a, as a conservation organization, as a science-based organization, we're going to follow the best science and the best recommendations on when it's going to be safe to reopen, and, um, you know, we're obviously having lots of conversations about what that means. You know, what, what does the new normal look like in terms of our, our offices and how they're arranged and what our policies are going to be and things like that. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that everybody out there listening is you know, continuing to take this seriously. You know, focus on getting your vaccinations and still wearing your mask and social distancing, because it's going to take all of us working together for the common good to really help, you know, eliminate this this pandemic, so that we can all get back to some sense of normal.
0: Very good. So, uh, in in the last uh, few minutes that we have, uh, I would love to have you share with our listeners some ideas on uh, ways that they might be able to celebrate National Wildlife Week over the next uh, several days.
1: Sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like we mentioned at the top, National Wildlife Week. Is happening this week this is something we've been doing for decades and it's just one week of the year where we really try to get the message out about how amazing our wildlife are and because we're national wildlife federation most of our work really is actually focused on our american wildlife species of north america and so this year our theme is celebrating the beauty and diversity of america's wildlife and i have to tell you i had a lot of fun working on putting this campaign together with my colleagues because it was my task to come up with, well, what are some of these interesting and unique wildlife species? And, you know, believe it or not, there's some some pretty amazing species that call the U.S. home that a lot of people don't even know about. And some of them are pretty weird. Like we have got a, a species that looks like a pig that isn't a pig at all. It's called a javelina or a collared peccary, and it only lives in, in the desert southwest. And so if you're not from you know, Arizona or New Mexico or West Texas, you probably have never even heard of this animal. And they, again, they look like pigs. They're about the size of a German shepherd. They actually are backyard wildlife. They will you know, roam neighborhoods just like in other places you see deer. And um, they, they're, they're just fascinating. And there are a group of animals called peccaries that look like pigs. They have a very, what we call, convergent evolution. They've got a snout and the same body shape, but they're actually very different animals and not, not really closely related. Um, you know, in your neck of the woods, there's an animal called the southern flying squirrel that most people have no idea is out there, but they're just as common as the gray squirrel that is ubiquitous in our backyards. It's just the flying squirrels are nocturnal and they hang out up in the tops of the trees. And so most people never see them because we're not active. then. So, you know, this year for National Wildlife Week, we're celebrating that. And if folks go to our website, it's nationalwildlifeweek.nwf.org or just Google National Wildlife Week. It'll take you there. And we've set up a whole bunch of different ways that people can get involved. You know, being a voice for wildlife, we've got a pledge, and we're hoping people will take this pledge that literally just says we're going to, you know, we're going to use our voice to help the National Wildlife Federation protect and restore wildlife. And when you take the pledge, we have a really cool prize pack that five people are going to win. It's called the Wildlife Gear and Go. And it's basically just a a set of, uh, of stuff that will help you get outdoors and experience nature Um, a really great fleece, a National Wildlife Federation hat, a cooler. So when you're out hiking or camping, you can bring some cold drinks, stuff like that. So definitely do that. And we have partnered this year with BuzzFeed. And if folks are familiar with BuzzFeed, you know that they are a, a social media website that is famous for their quizzes. And they do all sorts of crazy, wacky quizzes. So they have created a quiz that will tell you what unique wildlife species your personality best matches. Again, we had a lot of fun building this. So you can access all of that on the National Wildlife Week website. Take the quiz and you'll learn what animal you are and how you can get involved protecting it. Um, Lots of different ways to get involved and help us, you know, signal boost this message that America's wildlife are unique and wonderful and beautiful and deserve our protection. And that the National Wildlife Federation really, you know, can use everybody's help and everybody's voice in order for us to achieve that that vision of having a future where wildlife are thriving right here in America. Hmm.
0: I uh, suggest that people go to uh, the National Wildlife Federation's beautiful website, which is nwf.org, and uh, I, for one, am uh, going to be contacting a couple of friends of mine who are very, very gifted amateur photographers and encourage them to submit wildlife photos uh, for your uh, 50th annual photo contest. Uh, just one more way to celebrate, uh, all of the beautiful, wonderful things that are around us.
1: Absolutely. And, 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 another example of one of the great programs that we do every year. So thanks for mentioning that one too.
0: Very good. Very good. Uh, last quick question. So, uh, how much of the work that you do for the national wildlife Federation has you behind a desk versus out of doors where you really are, are happiest? <laughs>
1: That is also a great question and a big misperception. I get a lot of people saying, oh, it must be so great to run around out in nature and, you know, interact with live animals all the time. And I have to, you know, burst their bubble and say the unfortunate reality is I'm just like most other people out there and do most of my work sitting indoors in front of a computer. So I try to carve out that, you know, my, in my, my personal time as much as I can to get outdoors. And, again, I'm a big gardener. Um, I love getting outside and getting my fingers in the dirt and planting native plants and attracting wildlife. Um, But yeah, it's a good reminder for all of us that, um, you know, that that whole idea of less screen time and more green time, it's not just for kids, it's for adults
0: too. Hmm. David uh, Mizodewski is a naturalist with the National Wildlife Federation, joining us uh, during this National Wildlife Week. Thank you so much. Great to talk with you again. Best wishes to you.
1: Thanks, Greg.